Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns, and I am your host, I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief as they battle the bullying epidemic. Now today, you're going to be experiencing the first in a 10-part series on everyday strategies, and we're going to be working to help teachers and students become their personal best. Strategies. We all need them. We all need them in the classroom. We need them in life. We need ways to do things that help us get the job done, whatever the strategy is. Sometimes we just have to be consistent and we just have to follow through with some strategies that we use. Can't be doing it one day and not the next. And Several years ago, about 10 years ago, I wrote a book. It was called 100 Everyday Strategies, Helping Students and Teachers Become Their Personal Best. We're going to cover about 10 of these strategies today. And in the next set of series, up to we're going to have 10 episodes, we're going to be covering 10 strategies for each episode. That'll give us a hundred everyday strategies that we can use to help students to become their personal best. You know, in terms of kids, they'll always say to you, why do we have to do this? Why is this so important? They'll refuse to do things. They'll act up because they don't want to do things. I want to share with you one very important point here. 
the manifestation of disrespect in a kid is laziness. It's not that he doesn't want to do something. He just doesn't want to do it for you. And oftentimes, it's because we just don't seem to have the enthusiasm that's necessary in order to really motivate these kids. And so my first strategy for you is we have to inspire our students. And, you know, that word inspire means to stimulate the mind or emotions to a high level of feeling or activity. And in order to do this, we have to maintain an incredible level of focus and enthusiasm in the classroom. So I ask you, do you have a love for your subject area? Are you convicted about the importance of every student's learning and constantly looking for and then trying out slightly better ways to improve your delivery and your instruction? Inspiration. Working at our craft. That rubs off on the kids. And it's something that we have to really put our mind to. You know, when it's Wednesday and we're tired and we're worn out, and maybe we've got a lot of years in the profession, maybe we just went through the testing ritual that all school districts go through, and we're really approaching that point of our weekly burnout. Always remember that everything you do is under the microscope of your students, their eyes, their ears, and their mind. And we have to be there to inspire them in order to get the most out of them and to motivate them. The next thing that I'm going to share with you is something that you might find interesting, and this would be strategy two. You want to be specific and conservative with praise. Research suggests that praise is supposed to be given to children on a nine-to-one ratio. For every constructive suggestion, there should be nine words or statements of praise. Those nine words or statements, they they have to be specific and they have to communicate exactly what the student did. Now, often teachers can go overboard in giving general rather than specific praise. An example of general praise would be when a teacher writes on a paper or tells a student, nice job. Well, what's so nice about it? Specifically, excellent opening and closing in an essay, or excellent use of figurative language, good use of transitional words and phrases, complete answer addressing all elements of the question. You're praising something specific, because you want the student to be aware of what it is you want them to continue doing. And I will share that praise is much more meaningful and believable when something that is specific is attached to it. Praise given at the right time for the right thing will build a respectful and responsible classroom. I do want to attach one caveat to this. Praise when given too often 
and given to kids when they really haven't given their personal best. When the word awesome is used too often, kids can begin to feel good about themselves for no apparent reason. And that's what we have to watch out for. I've done a podcast on white noise. That's what starts to happen. The praise goes in one ear and out the other and it doesn't stick. It's almost like eating too much pizza. You get sick of it. And sometimes the kids know that we're trying to bribe them with the praise to get something out of them, even though they haven't met our level of expectation. So be careful with praise and use it correctly, and you'll get your the, the absolute personal best out of your kids. You know, the, the interesting thing is kids like to be called certain names by their friends. My feeling is, ask yourself this question. What did... Beaver Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver's Beaver's teacher call him. She called him Theodore. Here's my point. Don't use nicknames. I mean, kids can call each other that. And sometimes nicknames can have a negative connotation and they only serve to reinforce a student's negative view of himself or herself. When teachers call students by nicknames, it has a tendency to eliminate the boundaries that should be part of the student-teacher relationship. It could cause the kid to see the teacher as their peer. So my feeling here, call students by their actual names. Strategy three, no nicknames, no derogatory remarks. Don't fall into the trap of leveling the ground and having you be on the same plane as those students. You're the one that's in charge. You make sure that you call that student by what his name actually is. And that would be, not Beaver, but Theodore. Number four. All kids drive us crazy from time to time. Not all the time, but some of the time they do. And what happens is we have this tendency to head down to the faculty room and start talking about kids. Now, we talk about a lot of other things down in that faculty room. And this is strategy four, where we want to stay away from gossiping and complaining. And certainly in schools today, your students come to you with many problems not related to school. And when you complain about them down in the faculty room and you find other teachers that buy in, it becomes much easier to get into that routine and you go back to the classroom and you end up having a negative feeling about your students. My point here is what we want to do is we want to make sure, make sure that we don't take the focus off ourselves And what our responsibility is in terms of teaching those kids. In other words, you haven't thrown your hands in the air 
because of the fact that these kids are acting up, these kids are a problem. Oh, I just met Joe's father. He's just like him. You you don't want to have your hands in the air and you don't want to give up. Spreading rumors, gossiping, complaining, you know, whatever the case may be, all it does is create a negative vibe in your own mind. And your thoughts then go in a negative direction. What you want to do is you want to make sure that you don't complain. You don't beef and moan about the behavior of the kids. We all know that sometimes and certain kids are surely out of control. We're aware of that, but we don't need to talk about it. That's almost like an understood thing. Kids are going to give us trouble. Parents are going to give us trouble. Administration is going to give us trouble. Even our own colleagues are going to give us trouble. But complaining about it is merely trying to present a problem of which you have no solution. And, of course, you can't control it. So stay away from rumors and gossip in the faculty room. Sometimes we can believe that... Uh, A school has low morale. What I believe, there's low trust. And if you're complaining, the people in that faculty room know that when they leave, you'll be talking about them. Number five, learn how to deal with criticism effectively. We all get observed. We all end up you know, having our evaluation. How we receive criticism will be how we give constructive suggestion. So if you are uh, have gotten an observation and you have been given comments in that observation and have been given suggestions for improvement, it's up to you to be sure that you follow and do what you're told to do. Taking a defensive or negative attitude toward the administrator who wrote the evaluation does no good. If you're criticized for your performance, you have to ask yourself if there's any truth in the criticism and then begin to take the steps for improvement. Now, of course, if you truly feel the observation is blatantly unfair, then go through the proper channels and writing a rebuttal or talking to a representative in your building. But my point here is, how you receive criticism, the students will mirror back to you that same attitude when you correct them. So be sure that you understand constructive suggestion, and if something is true, take the steps to correct it. And if it's not true, understand the channels. Don't head down to the faculty room and start complaining to your colleagues because it won't do any good. You'll merely find people down there that will complain right along with you, and before you know it, negativity will start to break out all over the building. Number six, develop a sense of humor. Humor is a great way to increase your effectiveness as a teacher. It grabs the attention of your students, and at times you need to grab their attention. Once your students believe that you have the ability to inject humor into your instruction, guess what? They're going to be hanging on your every word. Remember that kids love to laugh, so give them something to laugh about. Plus, humor is a great way to break tension 
and create a more relaxed learning environment and classroom climate. Humor will make you and your teaching more interesting and accessible to every student. Use a little bit of humor. You'll find that you you you'll discover that you're going to develop a sense of humor just by using humor. Learn how to build number 7. Learn how to build relationships with your students. For some reason it always seems like a student who challenges you the most on a day-to-day basis all have one thing in common. You know what that is? And this is just my experience. They're always in school. Can you deny that you secretly hope some of these students are absent once in a while? Sometimes you feel like you need a break from these kids. But these difficult students are the ones you should focus on building the best relationship with. Your students have a sixth sense and can pick up on your body language and can recognize when you're pleased with them or not and when you like them or not. Try putting more energy into building a relationship with your kids. And when your difficult students start to believe that you will give them positive attention, they'll look less for negative attention and will improve and that's going to improve the climate of your classroom. You got to focus on maintaining respectful body language and no matter what. Don't communicate to students in a negative manner by using slumped shoulders or a look of disgust when they show up. Lots of times I know at the high school level, the biggest part of the morning is when we the attendance sheet comes out because you're wondering if one kid is in that's in your last period of class. Or at the elementary level, when the buses are pulling up, some teachers could be praying that certain kids don't show up. You need a break from them. If you start building relationships with these kids, it'll make your life a lot easier. And guess what? You'll probably sleep better at night too. Number eight. This is one of my pet peeves. Punctuality. You know, you want your kids to be on time. Work on being on time to school to your class, and to duty periods. Duty assignments are something that you are assigned assigned to for a specific reason. You got to be there when you're supposed to and make punctuality your goal. You can't show up for cafeteria duty 10 minutes late. If a fight breaks out, there's a problem and you're going to get called on the carpet anyway. You expect your kids to be on time, be on time yourself. Number nine, be honest and realistic about your students' academic achievement. Now, too often grades get awarded like A's and B's when in reality the student doesn't know the material and a more realistic grade would be a C or a D. Parental pressure, administrative pressure, curriculum timelines, they all affect students' performance. And it's really more of a problem for the student and the student's parents than for you. Here's my point. You want to be honest, and students who have an inflated view of their own ability move on 
to the next marking period or the next grade with a lethal combination, an inflated view of their academic ability, overconfidence, and probably a lack of the prerequisite skills they need to succeed. These students ultimately, they'll become a behavior problem for you, for somebody. And then another problem arises because the student's parents also develop the same inflated view of their child's ability. Let me tell you something. Not being truthful up front only produces future pain down the road. For the parents, the students, and future teachers that this student's going to have. So please be honest with your students in terms of their academic ability. These are strategies that will help you become your personal best and will help the students become their personal best as well because you are going to raise your expectations for their behavior and for their academic progress. These are critical pieces. These are everyday things that we should be doing. Number 10, teach for mastery. You know, there's a lot of reasons why a kid will pass a test. And once they pass the test, they may get a good grade, but they don't master the material. Passing a test does not mean that a student has mastered the material. I I had written an article. You can find it on the website, bullyproofclassroom.com. Good grades are nice, but mastery is better. There's an incorrect assumption that we have here, and that is the grade dictates whether or not the material has been put into the child's long-term memory. And kids can pass a test for a variety of reasons. They can cram. You could be benevolent. They could cheat. They could be lucky. There's a host of different ways a kid could pass a test. Now, in order to check for true mastery, include some of the previously tested material taught that you've given them already in each test that you give. That way, you can determine how much information has been learned by your students. There's your first 10 strategies that will help you and your students become their personal best. My name is Jim Burns. This is the first in a 10-part series on everyday strategies. Please visit my website, at bullyproofclassroom.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. I think they'll enjoy it immensely as it gives them different strategies that they can use. And in some of the podcasts, I leave links for people to download material. So you'll have to check that out. I'll be letting you know if I do it with this. Take the time. Go over the podcast a couple of times so that you understand it. Also, when you get to the website, please take a look at the courses that are there for professional development hours. 
Take a look at the products. There's a host of different lesson plans that you can use, journals, and other strategies to help you deal with a host of different things in your classroom. Once again, my name is Jim Burns, and you have been listening to Anti-Bullying 101.